Hello, beloved listeners, and welcome back to Octavia's Parables podcast. We are reading Wild Seed from Octavia E. Butler. I am your co-host, Adrienne Marie Brown, and I'm here with... Toshi Regan. The one and only. And Mm. we are on chapter six this week, which is a novel of a chapter. And we're really excited to dive into it. But before we do... Toshi, do you have any announcements? Yeah, I guess I can shout out Parable of the Sower hitting the road next year. Parable of the Sower recording is almost done. I don't know exactly when it's going to be released, but I have a Mm -hmm. feeling we will be dribbling out songs um, somewhere around the end of the year, but still a lot of different things to do to make that happen. I'm doing five shows at Joe's Pub in New York City. Uh, November 9th through 13th, then the 9th through the 11th, I'm doing it with my band. Um, but the 12th and the 13th, I get to uh, do a nice duet show with my sister Liz Wright. There are still um, some seats, maybe, hopefully, when you hear this. And uh, Joe's Pub is has a very, very strict COVID practice. They've removed some seats to, you know, give mm. some distance from the stage. Everyone has to be masked. Everybody has to be vaxxed to get into this venue and us musicians have to be vaxxed and we have to test so that will be the atmosphere um Mm -hmm. in this space also i happen to know that joe's pub has its own air system separate from the public theater so therefore Mm. you have even more circulation that's independent of that whole gigantic building oh Beautiful. Mm-hmm. I feel like you and Joe's Pub is always a magic event. So I'm grateful that that's <laughs> <home> happening. Base. <laughs> it is. It's, it feels like the place where you're able to fly, you know? Yeah. Let's see. I'm doing a couple of events. Um, on November 9th, I'm going to be doing a an event for the Tania Gathers Muhammad Memorial Scholarship, which is um, getting kicked off at Spelman College. And we're going to talk about grievers and grief and I'm going to be, I think, in conversation with Ruha Benjamin, who I absolutely adore. So, yeah, you can look on my page for that. And then on the 10th, I'll be doing an event for Crip Kinship, which is a new book that's coming out that is really gorgeous. And I'm excited to be involved in it. So those are some things coming up. I'm trying to do a little bit better job of mentioning upcoming events. (laughs) (laughs) I never do, and then people be mad. So I'm like, okay, I can mention events. I can do. I can do hard things. I'm impressed um, that you are like putting things on the calendar because I always forget to do that. Oh yeah, I'm. I have. Well, I don't have like a public calendar, but I do. Like on my Instagram, I have the little link tree, and I just you like link to things. I put the links there. Or, you know, the links show up there somehow. Um, it's all magic. <laughs> It's all magic. But yeah, I'm trying to do a little bit better job of that in in life because, you know, folks just feel feelings. They're just like, so I would like to hear those things. Support your beautiful events. I found out about it afterwards. So, Mm. all right. Going to get better at life all the time, all the time. So let's dive into this big chapter of Doro's learning and we're on the journey. We're on a boat. This chapter is gigantic. And the the real vibe is that he you we already know what his goals are. So yeah. this is the chapter of transformation. This yeah. is 
you know, this is it. This is where he is. He is not going to like allow for Anyanwu to ground herself inside of this new place that she's arriving. So we get a bunch of information right, right off the first few pages. Um, they are very close to land. And what we learn is that Doro is scared of Anyanwu's power. He doesn't like people that he can't control. And he mm-hmm. has discovered through all of the beautiful dolphin, you know, dancing and, you know, hanging out with Isaac over the water um, and even defending herself from a, a shark that that when she's in that state, he has no relationship to her. He can't hear, feel her. He can't do anything. Um, mm-hmm. So he's very, he's very afraid of that. We also discover that he cannot pass on the special gifts to a child. So mm-hmm. if he, you know, has a kid, he can't use the gifts himself. He can like then be with someone else and then that person might absorb some of the gifts, but he can't he can't do anything with it. So when if he gets angry and he kills Anyanwu, that would probably be the end of Anyanwu's gifts yes. um continuing. So that is a very frustrating existence for him the other thing is we start to hear something about his hunger like we have heard about what happens to Isaac and we've heard about what happens to Anyanwu when she changes too fast but he himself has his own hunger that that there's not details about it but it just seems to be it just seems to be on another level and he finds Anyanwu very valuable as a human when she's human, he can track her. She has all of this, these gifts. She could, she could save everybody. Like she could like heal so many people. And so this is again, mm. going towards his like trying to figure out how he will use her and in which ways and all of his Doro science. He is terrified that she will find out that when she's an animal, he can't track her because she can leave. Yes. And he wants as many children as he can get out of her before he kills her so this is the (laughs) so it seems that he thinks that he can kill her and that it's inevitable that it will happen so despite all of that they eventually end up in new york harbor and this is just such a completely different world for Nyanwu. so she just has a gazillion questions about what she's seeing the buildings have to be explained to her. She doesn't understand all these connecting buildings. And he's just trying to say, yo, there's one family in each section. She wants to know where the food is. Like, how can they possibly exist? Where do they get that? And he explains that the that people have gardens and that the farms are in different places. And he explains that they're growing um, different things and what they might be growing to make beer and things like that. And then she just wants to leave. She's like, let me go. Like, I want to wander around town and, and explore and see what's going on. And he's like, no, 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 no. You can't go nowhere. First of all, look at you. You hardly have any clothes on. Second of all, you're black. And black people, and they describe in the book, Indian people have a hard time walking around free. So mm. we all know why that is. Understatement. <laughs> so he sends Isaac out to get some clothes for her. Mm-hmm. And he tells her this is not going to be where they're going to be. They're, they actually have to take another boat and go to his his land. And Isaac uh, goes out to get 
some clothing, but he doesn't do what Dora would like him to do, which is like hire somebody to make some clothes or buy some clothes. He goes and steals some clothes from some people and he steals, you know, some woman's clothes, her her jewelry, everything, and he just leaves a bunch of money. So I just like there's just sometimes I just like have to say Anyanwu is a African woman. Yes. You know, she that's not how she does. No. Like wearing somebody else's clothes, stealing from somebody. That's not how she is. They insult her every day just with being dumb. So she <laughs> is not, you know, she is not with that. And you see that Isaac is like just he's just a little bit of a kid in his talents. And one of the things Doro really is tracking is that this is also the time when people are like, she's a witch. He's a witch. Everybody's a witch. And we have to burn them and kill them. So he just wants Isaac to cool it a little bit because the way he is. And because he shows up on his little boat without like paddling it. He's just standing up in a boat and riding into the harbor. (laughs) They're just, he's like, can you stop doing that? Like, stop being being, uh, masterful and scaring people. So there is this I this is actually just one of my favorite Doro mm-hmm. Anyanwu collaborations. And this is about dressing Anyanwu. It's just it's just awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, you wish that all of the other horrible stuff wasn't around it, but here we go. So Doro, because Doro has been a woman and Doro has been lots of women, Doro's mm-hmm. like you know, I'd rather be a Dutch woman than an English woman because Dutch women's clothing is not as restrictive. And uh, he basically dresses Anyanwu. It's very sweet. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just teaching her how to do everything. He's teaching her where this should go and where that should go. And he does her hair. And she was like, well, surely you can braid hair. And he's like, of course I can. But he gives her what she describes as a cloud on the top of her head using a comb. And he's hooking her up, you know, mm-hmm. and then there's a, a moment where he has these earrings and she has to make the holes for the earrings. And this is another, you know, beautiful moment of discovery for a horrible being. Um, mm-hmm. Once he has to put the earrings in, he can feel her her transformative skin and he is just kind of startled by it. And then she does something so that the texture is back where it is. So he just is... Mm-hmm. You know, no matter how much he is saying this being is mine, this person is mine, he's also startled by what and who she actually is and how at ease she is in her body. It's just so natural to her. And so this whole dressing thing, of course, is a little bit sensual and a, a flirtation and Anyanwu loves it. Like she's she starts to to give him some, you know, Anyanwu-based pleasure. Mm-hmm. This turns into this kind of conversation about like how she has been able to give her husbands all kinds of desire and that they Mm -hmm. they might have seven wives, but the one they go to the most is her. And then he's like, yeah, well, let me become a woman and let's see, (laughs) like, see what kind of man you are. And you know, what does Anyan would say to that? Hell no. She says abomination. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Her word. Mm Mm-hmm. She's like, no, I don't know. I was like, oh my god, <laughs> this just seems like the best thing in the world. Obviously, I'm just like, come on now. What are you that talking about? The first thing I did. But yeah. yeah, we would yeah. have been done done that like like a hundred <laughs> times everywhere we went. Every time I read um, this, I'm like, they haven't done that already. But yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. no. 
because Anyangwu is is yeah, she's, she's related like, to her ancient times. She's like her her first twenty years mm-hmm. sensibilities have stayed with her very strongly. So <sighs> they are in that, and Isaac can't hide his feelings. He's stumbling, bumbling all around her, and given all of this energy, and she's kind of like, "Oh, isn't that cute?" He has a little crush, and mm-hmm. she is not. She's just like, I I see you, but you need to get, Doro needs to do something with him. He needs to get him a woman or something. So, you know, that is going on. And they eventually end up heading to uh, Doro's land, which is Wheatley. And they get a ship and the ship has like a captain and these enslaved people working the ship. But it is Isaac who is pushing the, the ship and he's doing it a little bit fast. And yeah. the people who are on the ship are kind of like, okay, this is not how fast the ship should be going. Mm-hmm. And um, Doro tries to get him to slow down, but he doesn't. So they make it to Wheatley in five days. Mm-hmm. When they arrive, you you see this place. The All of the people who were on the ship that crossed the water get to arrive in Wheatley And there's kind of a good feeling, I'm sure, being off the ship and being like, you know, all of that. But also that so many of the relationships that they developed on the ship actually get to continue. Mm -hmm. And he's very deliberate in how he places people and where he places them. We all know that this is leading to a breeding system. Mm -hmm. So he he is being very deliberate. Leo gets a lot of props for how he picked the people. And we start to understand that Leo used his gifts to to build this group of people so that they actually would work well together and that mm. they would end up being a good source for Doro's breeding program. And we hear more about Isaac and Isaac's mom. Um, mm. Isaac's mom ended up killing herself. She was like Lael, and it really got to her. And so apparently the people with these gifts, they can hear all of the thoughts and all of the voices around them. And if they can't control it, it just kind of drives them mad. And eventually she couldn't deal with it and she killed herself. Uh, so Anyanwu wants to know why he isn't like Lael. And Doro picked a different body to have him because he didn't want to do that again. So mm. it's Doro's really being specific about this in more ways than, than we can think about. And... Let's see if there's something nice about Doro's mm-hmm. land. We just find out that he lives on this, um, you know, he has this big farmhouse and he has this couple, the Wheatleys, who keep the house for him and the Wheatleys have their children. Oh, there is this one part where mm-hmm. the people who have brought them up on their boats, they're Dutch and they call the land Gilpin, I think uh. that's how I will say it. But it is Wheatley. And... <laughs> <laughs> and uh but yeah, you just I just run away from the Dutch history of of New York and it, I just am so horrified. It yeah. is just it, it's it's terrible. So even as yeah. Octavia is like, you know, always being very truthful in her fiction uh around these relationships, I'm just like, ugh. So they <laughs> the people are arriving, the people are getting settled. And Anyanwu is at the edge and the beginning of learning about her life on this new land and this new world. And she is at the farmhouse. She is learning about the life, but it is all like 
really bizarre to her. Mm. You know, it's just this like, what is what is this? Like they're in a kitchen and, you know, even the food that they have is all really different. So she is she is just starting to get into this, get into this thing. And which thing is really, really, really real that being out there, being a little bit too forward, it, it, it causes attention. And he is, he is very much watching out for her in this way, because it is her desire to, to be more out. And he's, um, so he's just like, go be in the kitchen with Sarah. <laughs> so mm. she just go and like watch Sarah, hang out with Sarah, like just be Sarah. Sarah's your Sarah's your lifeline and learn everything that Sarah can do. Mm. And so she is in the kitchen, she's watching Sarah cook and she's, you know, asking a thousand questions. And while it, it if it was a movie, this is how it would be. You would see Anyanwu in the kitchen with Sarah, yeah. and then you would see Isaac. And Doro having a fucked up conversation. Yeah. So <laughs> just think of it that way. Yeah. These things are happening. Then, you know, and there's some weird music playing because that is how it goes. So Isaac is um, reporting on, I'm calling her Anike, who yeah. is another in the Leo line of, mm-hmm. of gifted people, but young. And yeah. so uh, she is starting to transition with these gifts. And Isaac is reporting that he's he's worried about her. Um, she's another one of Doro's kids. And um, Doro's not as worried. He's like, let's just let her go through the change. But Isaac is concerned. And they have this conversation about her and how hard it is. And that the uh, that the person who is being her foster mother is also concerned. But yeah. the real conversation or, you know, not to make that not significant, but the real conversation they are having is about Anyanwu. And um, Doro is like, now's the time, you know, and Isaac is like, you're you're finally giving her to me. And, yes. but it's not just like, no, you can have sex with Anyanwu. He's like, I want you to marry her. Mm. And this turns Isaac into a bubbling teenager. He is so... Like into Anyanwu, he kind of just like can't physically contain his joy in his body. So there is a conversation about what this means. There is a conversation about like how they both know that she is not going to be down with this, and what's the way to protect, you know, to to do this. And Isaac says, "I I really want you to let me talk to her if she starts to disagree. Please do not kill her. Don't mm. hurt her." Like, let me talk to her if she refuses. So that is all going on. And here we are with our other conversation. And it's like the women's work conversation. This is where um, she's asking these questions like, how shall I call you? You know, and learning that the women take their husband's last names and then are referred to as Mrs. So she's like, you can call me Mrs. Cutler. And mm. then they have a conversation about Anyanwu's names. And, you know, Anyanwu was like, oh, no, this is not my only name. Like, I have names. Here's the name my mama named me. Here's, mm-hmm. here's the other name. <laughs> here's, this is the name that's this. This is the name is that, you know. <laughs> and Ms. Cut- Ms. Cutler just like, I'm just going to call you Anyanwu. Like, <laughs> I think I got to yeah. cook this food. I think so, I can do this, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> she actually, she asked the question about why. Doro is calling her son woman. 
um, which mm. is an, is his name. He starts to call her when they arrive there, and it's the English version of her name. And Anyanwu is like she's like he changes everybody's names. Like so, she's like he hasn't changed her name, and so mm. so both uh, Anyanwu and Doro shrug, but Anyanwu shrugs are like this. Like, well, he hasn't changed yeah. my name. And Doro shrugs are like, I had to kill 300 people. Oh, well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. <laughs> the shrug. <laughs> the shrug. Oh, my God. Uh, so they can talk about the names a long time. Getting getting to know, like, why would your name be Cutler? And then, you know, an ancestor was probably a knife maker. We start to meet the whole family. And so the husband comes in and he's bringing two grown sons and a daughter along with this very young, shy wife of one of the sons. Um, this mm. girl is slender and olive skin, black haired and dark eyes. And even to Anyanwu's eyes, very beautiful. Mm. Um, and there's a couple of things that happens here. When Doro enters the space, there's Mrs. Cutler <laughs> is like, hey, how you doing? Hey, you know, how's it going? And mm. and then this young this young woman who is a Mohawk woman, when Doro enters the space, she's like, "Hey, how you hey. doing?" Mm-hmm. And Anyanwu clocks all of that. She's like, "Okay." He, she's she like, says, is, my, "Is this the man of hope?" <laughs> <laughs> she really is. But in her words, she's like, "Was he like a cock among them, just mm-hmm. going from one hen to another?" <laughs> so she mm-hmm. she clocks that you know he has been around. Doro has is being started really sweet with her, talking to her about food, asking her how does she like you know the yams. And there is there is this earlier moment with where Sarah gives um, Anyanwu something to eat. Yeah. So stay a hold of that. Yeah. She gives yeah, her yeah. something sweet to eat, and so it's time for dinner. And Sarah asks about Isaac because that is his foster family. And Isaac doesn't come to dinner because he's he knows what's about to happen tonight, that Anyang was going to find out that yeah. he's to marry her, she's to marry him, and he doesn't want to be anywhere at dinner. So there's this like very also bad in bad taste conversation about warring with the Indians. Mm. And Anyangwu thinks, well, that is not cool to be like talking about around the sister here. Yes. But white folks is just saying whatever they want to say at the table and making everybody feel weird. So at one point, there is a conversation about powerfulness and race and something. And the Mohawk sister says, my people could tell them what powerful spirits live here. And uh, she whispered Mm. and kind of smiled. And so it was a little bit of a, you know, I think a little bit something of a thing to Doro. Yeah. Like you have to be here to know it, but mm-hmm. but this is our stars a beautiful time for Anyanwu. You just kind of feel terrible for her because yeah. she goes all in, like yeah. she is a committed being. So she is like, I have saved my people. I have taken this journey with this man. I have yes. made him my husband. I yes. am being a good wife. I am doing everything he tells me to do. do. He's like, learn this language. She is learning this language. He's like, sit with this woman and learn how to cook this weird food. She is like, I am going okay. to figure this out. He's like, be gracious, sit at the table and eat and talk. And she does that. She sits at the table and she eats and she talks. And she eventually gets very, very sick. 
and she stops herself from being sick in front of people. Yeah. And she goes up into their room and she just does the thing that she does where she examines like what it is in her body that causes her problems. But this is amazing because she just gets to every element of food that she eats and she realizes she overate. She ate too much meat. She did this and she just goes and goes and goes until she finds that first little piece of something that Mrs. Cutler, Sarah gave her. And then she breaks that down. Amazing. And the result of her breaking down that down is we get like two to three pages on, on milk. And animal yes. milk. She is outraged. Like, she, this is like abomination on fleek. Like, mm. how, why would you use this animal milk? Like, she cannot understand it. And he's, and she feels tricked by him. Like, di- like as if that's the point. So milk, animal milk is a, a really big thing. And it also goes to just how all the cultures that are in this book see animals. Yes. And it's animals are just considered the lower citizen of the earth. It It's like, how, why would you drink the milk of an animal? It just doesn't make any sense. And because animals are like, it's just like the curse word is to be called an animal. And, uh-huh. you know, and so Anyanwu being really, really ancient and really still in her first iteration of ancient ancientness now we lots of us like don't drink um animal yeah exactly but (laughs) we got our oat milk and we got our everything but anyamu would be very happy right now and she would be you know she probably created the milk she needed to cook (laughs) what she needed to cook but she is she is furious and Mm. um and doro is like kind of laughing at her she can't but she can't believe it i cannot say this strong enough people like the idea that people are drinking milk and that they cook with it makes her just almost like want to go back on the boat and like go back home. It's just like exactly. just, she's losing it over it. And then he just says, just tell her that you can't drink it. Like, just tell her it's, you know, you don't drink this and she will teach you to cook without it, like, or just won't put it in things for you. So this is a big explosion by Anyangwu that is easily soothed by Doro and then that easily soothing energy where he is very sweet with her and smiling turns into this sensuality between them and Mm -hmm. she gives him she teases him and she says I healed myself just in time now lie down here and show me why all those women were looking at you and this is a, a this is great so they they do this and they get down and then you know Doro's on his plan so he's like, you know what, um, mm. we've come to your new home, you know, and I'm going to be leaving in a few weeks. So when I leave, I, I want to make sure that, you know, you are with somebody and, you know, taken care of and all this. But she is like, I'm about to be pregnant with your child. Like, what are you talking yeah. about? And he's like, you're pregnant now? <laughs> like, And she's like, your seed is still in me. And Oh my God! Can you imagine this? This is can you just yeah. Im- this whole scene right this, now. This I'm just thing. like these are. I was like postcoital flaws. I was like this is not <laughs> you know fumbles. <laughs> this is stuff that you do not talk about in that state. But no, but she's Doro's like no, you, she's your seat like, is right here, I can feel and it. and I can feel it. And then he he jumps out of bed. 
And he is like, oh, no, 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 no. You know, you are not having this baby. Like, this is not the body for I intended for you to to get pregnant with. And she, and she was like, okay, well, I don't have to. And he gets rid of that, you know? So uh, mm-hmm. she, she, and she herself shrugs. Like, I can just like, you know, get rid of this. So stop, stop being weird. But, you know, he says, I have another plan for you. And this is when everything changes. This is when it is described that the hairs on the back of her neck go up. Like she just, she realizes like everything is wrong and she's speechless. She can't find it. And he tells her, you will marry Isaac. And I want children from the two of you. And I want you to have a husband who does more than visit you now and then. You know, you could go for a year or two years without seeing me. I don't want you to be that alone. And then she's like, Isaac, your son, Mm-mm. he's a boy. All of the things we know she's going to say that makes sense to her, which is like, I'm not going to lay with your son. Like, I'm not going to have children with your son. Mm. It's abomination. And he's like, not if I command it. And they have, they just have this fight. She's like, no, you, no, this is, I, I'm not going to do that. And it will be wrong. And of course she just, compares it to like, you know, you got me out here, you know, drinking milk of animals. And now you want me to sit here and lie down with your son. And she really starts to see the landscape. But I have to say she's unprepared for the conversation. Like it just shot. That's part of what he does. Yeah. He's he has tilted her so far into love land and so far into husband land. And so far, even though she knows that she has made a deal with him. He has succeeded. She has succeeded in 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 making her feel comfortable and at home with him. Mm-hmm. And to the point where no matter what he does, she usually can like find a reasoning to return to him. Yes. So because yes. he's already done a whole bunch of things and she's like been like, how did you do that? And then, you know, she's sleeping with him yep. and thinking about having children with them. So I think she very much has a love for this being and is using the traditional lines of her life to manage that relationship. So she is like, you know, brothers and sisters. And he's like, absolutely. If I tell a brother and a sister to lay, they will, you know, and she just sees him as such disregard for life and, and um, ways of doing things. So they have it out and she tries everything. First, she tries to like, no, these are the ways that you could, a wife would have sex with somebody else. You know, this has to happen. This has to happen. And Mm -hmm. then she tries the like, you know, is it that I'm not a good woman and not a good wife, not a good this. And he just starts laughing and he's just like, wait, are you really trying to have that conversation? This has nothing to do with if you're, you're great. He's like, I, you know, and basically he's like, I am a breeder. Like I have told you what I do. You are going to have kids with me and Isaac. So like, yeah, yeah, it really makes me my stomach turn. Yes. It's just horrible. It's just horrible. So she is, she is refusing. And at some point she is just like, kill me, you know, like she wants to die, but they get into it enough where it's, it's very clear, like that she does not want to die and that she's not, she's not going to do anything to end her life. Mm -hmm. And of course it ends up where he, they, they get so heated. He hits her. And then he tells her to get dressed and he's going to get Isaac. And she just, 
you know, life, life is over. She's not going to kill herself. And then Isaac, who I wonder if he also has some of that little bit I can hear inside your, your head energy because Isaac does it. Isaac, you know, walks through the whole thing with her and he answers very, you know, calmly all of her questions. He can't change her, you know, her sensibility of that what is happening is wrong, but he, he moves through it. And, and one of the ways that he does it is by like actually saying who Doro is, is real. Like giving a context for Doro. He's like, no, you have to understand these people over here believe in Jesus Christ. Doro was already like a thousand years old, you know, before Jesus Christ arrived on the scene. So he, he does it in a really good way because he could just be be like, you know, there's nowhere for you to go. You have to do this no matter what, blah, 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 like really, you know, overwhelm her and, and give her. But he says, no, like think of this big wider picture. People have tried to leave before, you know, they always get brought back. Sometimes they get brought brought back and he's wearing their bodies. So you're not going to get away because of course, nobody is telling her when she's an animal, he can't find her. And I'm not sure if Isaac knows that at that point, but nobody, but she doesn't understand that she actually could just turn herself into a cat and run away. And you know, like, so it's it's you know we're sitting here screaming no girl turn My yourself girl, into <laughs> turn to yourself cat cat no. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and then I Isaac is like kind of comes at it from this sensitive space of Doro is lonely mm. that you know he's so invested in this particular path of making all these people and making these special people and making all of this stuff but he he does not have anybody everybody dies before him. So mm-hmm. even though his kids live longer lives, he knows he's going to live longer than them. Anyanwu is one of the oldest people he's ever met. Yeah. So the potential for even longer lives is is really there. And they talk about like why Doro kills and how he kills. And Isaac is like, he is one of the few people who can sometimes get him not to, yeah. you know, because there's a killing he does because he has to because of his hunger, which I mentioned earlier. And then there's killing he does because he's Doro. Yes. And Isaac's like, I sometimes can keep him from doing that. And you could too. Yes. So he kind of puts in her mind that, you know, in their togetherness, they could actually be an antidote for some of Doro's behaviors. And Mm -hmm. she surrenders. He wins. She surrenders. She falls into his arms and he takes her to bed and that is the beginning of their relationship and that is the end of book one of wild seed come on adrian my what are the questions (laughs) yeah there's a lot of questions for this this like i said it's a novel of a chapter and and wild seed Wild Seed is that kind of book. Like there's it I I can't wait for whatever happens as large screen adaptations of this work because mm. there really is enough here for series, multiple movies. <laughs> you know, there's just so much here. So uh the first question I have is related to this aspect of Anyanwu that is, you know, she cannot be found when she is in animal form, even though she doesn't know this yet. 
the question I have for listeners is, do you have any times when you are untraceable, when you are not trackable by those who surveil you? Do you know what they are? Do you intentionally take yourself off of the grid or out of sight in some way? When I hear that question, I'm just thinking, shouldn't we all like create one? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, you know, a lot of my questions are like that where I'm like, do you have this? Because <laughs> you should. <laughs> it's a survival technology. Um, I've been really intentionally trying to do this more and more over the last two years is to mm. really, I notice my health related to how much I can disconnect from the internet, the social media, the, mm-hmm. the those spaces, and even just put my phone down altogether and go places. And Nala and I try to, you know, go sometimes and just leave our phones and, and go. And it's like, oh, that shouldn't be so hard. <laughs> and it is. Uh, but it feels important to to be cultivating those. And also, you know, related to that is, are there places that you know of that are not trackable or traceable? Mm-hmm. And are you in touch with those places do you know how to get to those places? The second question I have, which is about one of the things Doro's understanding through his own testing of, of trying to pass on and breed things, is that the powers that Anyanwu has could not pass down if he was inhabiting that body because when he comes into the body, he doesn't take those powers on as something he can pass down. And it made me think of, I'm sure you've experienced this, but, you know, sometimes people will be like, oh, yeah, she has this special sight like her grandmother did or, you know, people have these mm-hmm. powers. And I want our listeners to really ask themselves, interrogate, do you believe that magic or supernatural gifts can be inherited, are passed down? Are you carrying any of the magic or supernatural powers of your ancestors currently? And or maybe you are and you haven't activated them yet. Um, but really notice, are there little places where you're like, oh, I feel something <laughs> and really listening for where does that come from? Mm. Anyanwu gets Isaac, one of the first, you know, she's constantly organizing and doing this small like standard raising. So one of the things she does is she gets Isaac to swear off dolphin killing. And, you know, mm-hmm. now that she's gone and been there and they've they've been there. This is not really a question. It's more an instruction. But I want you to start really paying attention to the small organizing moves and the small standard setting moves that Anyanwu is up to. And, mm-hmm. you know, what else do you see her doing where she she sets this, right? Here's actually, there's a cultural aspect to this, but actually there's a value. It's not right to be killing them. And mm. that will not happen anymore. Where else do you see her doing that organizing, those small resistance? Because I, yes. I feel in this that this is some of Octavia's most brilliant work actually is really identifying like Anyanwu is an example of a powerful woman in slavery and powerful women in slavery were up to resistance all the time, right? right. Navigating resistance all the time, but it didn't always look like a massive walkout or kill the master or something. It it was in these small ways. So notice those. As they land in New York and then journey to Wheatley, I'm really struck by the how foreign, how alien the place feels to her. You know, she's like, this truly is another world. And I want our, our listeners to really imagine or answer for yourself, what is the most foreign or other place you've ever journeyed to? Mm-hmm. And 
where it was like the from the architecture, the infrastructure, the culture, the smells, the sounds, really everything felt like this is another world. This is another world. Mm. And once you've identified where that is, or a few places perhaps, ask, did you feel free or curious or safe in that place? Mm -hmm. And were you mm. free actually in that place? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I was laughing because there's a few places I've traveled to in my life where I was like, wow, this is so different. And, you know, there's a couple of them. I look back, one of them in particular, I look back and after I left was told, oh, by the way, they're in an act of war right now. Like there was just so much that was unknown to me that was protected in, you know, by the passport I carried. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I was like, this is so beautiful. You know, it's everything seems a little tense, but it's good, you know. Um, and then later it was like, actually, y'all were in serious danger. Um, yeah. Why, why were y'all there? there? Why were you there? <laughs> you know, we got lost, came across a border, um, sub-Saharan African adventures, you know, and mm. and found ourselves, in, you know, surprised. So I think that there's this experience of landing someplace when you're not in your power. And I think we also experience that when we're traveling places we think we are. Mm -hmm. We don't actually understand the culture enough to know that we're not. Mm -hmm. you know, as free or as safe necessarily as we think we are. Mm -hmm. A question I have mm -hmm. that I think of as a Doro question is, can you truly own anything that is more powerful than you or anyone mm. who is more powerful than you? Can you truly own someone who is more powerful than you? Ooh, I mean, isn't that the way? Cause it's, it's not a, fair and righteous, you know, yes. conversation. It's all about switching the territory. Yes. Putting the person in an unknown place. Yep. Withdrawing, being violent, doing all of these things. Yes. I always think like just because you named somebody your product, does that mean that they are? Exactly. And, you know, I think that a lot about my ancestors um, who just were constantly like, Mm, how I'm gonna get out of here? And yes, while I'm here, how am I? How am I creating the bigger conversation around my existence? And yes. and a lot of times my death. Mm -hmm. You know, so that it makes you, you you know somebody has decided something. Somebody has kept you in a space and in a container and has put you in in immense danger, and then you go to an, an outside an outside non-ending space and yeah. you contextualize that and yes. you name that and you say what that is and you make that the wrong it is and you think and imagine yourself where you think you should be. Exactly. And, yeah. and, and sometimes it is generations of solution, right? It's generations mm -hmm. of a solution. Like I do think that there are times when it's like, oh, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to like pivot and shift culture <laughs> for, for generations, you know, in order mm -hmm. for this power to actually be honored as what it is. And I also think that ignorance is the primary way that people who have less power keep those who have more power bound. That's right. Right. So the fact that Anyanwu doesn't understand that, you know, when she's in her animal forms that he can't track her. Like he keeps that from her and she can't go, you know? And if she knew that, 
if she knew that for herself and if she knew that for even for her, the children who come from her body, there might be other possibilities there that, you know, she would That's cultivate, right. right? Yeah. And as we're learning about all the different people who have powers in this world, I think about how they don't fit necessarily. They don't seem to fit into society. A lot of them end up here in this Doro place where it's like we can't quite place them other spaces. And it always makes me think at this point in the book, do you think, or do you know that the people we consider crazy or dysfunctional in our current society might be people who have misunderstood powers and misunderstood abilities, misunderstood awareness, misunderstood empathy, you know, the capacity to feel. Mm -hmm. And does that shift, does that possibility shift your orientation towards them? Yes. Mm. Yes. My next question, and there's a lot for this chapter because this is a lot of the chapter. I love the conversation with Sarah and Anyanwu where they're just navigating names. And I feel like this is one of the biggest areas where you can feel the cultural difference between a sort of mm -hmm. Western European approach and an indigenous, you know, ancient approach is that the names carry so much and it'll be long. And I feel like I've done so many gatherings where someone will get up and be like, you know, the indigenous community welcoming body who's, who's coming to ground. And they'll be like, my name is this. And it's this like long, you know, minutes long journey of lineage. It's so beautiful. And it places in the context of tribe and place and location, family and everything, you know, then someone else like I'm Beth, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. <laughs> and try to figure out like, oh yeah, like at, just at that very basic introductory level, how do we understand the differences of, of what we communicate and how we know something is ours. So do you feel that you, the name you wear now is your own? Mm-hmm. Have you traced the lineage of that name? Do you understand the meaning of that name? Does it feel like it fits all of who you are? Do you feel deeply aligned with the people that you came from or that that name came from? Mm. Yeah. And if you don't feel that that is true, what is the name you would claim as your own? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The next question I have is, I'm in love with Anyanwu's self-healing practices and Anyanwu science, the journey that Anyanwu can take down into her own body. Are you learning from Anyanwu's self-healing practices? Is it giving you inspiration to pay more attention to the processes of your own body? Mm. Again, suggestive questions, leading questions, <laughs> right? I'm like, it could. I want to share this past weekend, I ate, Pendulce after a long time of like not eating a bunch of white bread, carbs, etc. And within an hour, it felt like my knees were made out of cement. Mm-hmm. Mm, hot cement, <laughs> if that's a thing. Hot <laughs> oh, cement. Shit. It was really special. And I was like, oh, you know, it's not, I can't quite anyanwu this. Like I can't just now go down and reverse the inflammation in the way that she can. But I was able to quickly then turn and attend to the inflammation. And I'm like, you know, for years I've eaten stuff that is having that result, but I've eaten so much of it and I've been so inflamed that I couldn't even notice it. And right. as I start to pull a, pull out the things that I know do that, it stands out more and more. And it got me excited. I was like, this is an anyanwu moment. <laughs> like I can really mm. feel from within 
something that's happening in my body and I know what I need to do to, to change that. That's great. Yeah. So a cultural question, how do you and your family view animal milk? Did you grow up drinking animal milk? Did you grow up thinking it was an abomination somewhere in between? And if it's not animal milk, is there anything that you could imagine being given to you as a food that would be as offensive to you as animal milk is to Anyanwu? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yo, there's like <laughs> some, some um, I don't know which of anybody is like me that you get the New Yorker magazine, but you never can read them. Oh, yeah. That's like, everybody, Toshi. That's yeah, everybody. that's everybody. <laughs> okay. I, like, have to cut the subscription. I can just do, yep. like, half the subscription. I'm like, yo, y'all, I have to stop right now and yep. just catch up. <laughs> um, but there's, like, a, a joke about, like, nut milks or milks <laughs> and the trajectory, the history of nut milks in there. But I'm always worried about how all the other milks we make what I'm like, you know, like people are like almond milk, like don't drink that. It uses too much water. Yes. And then I would like love oat milk. And I'm like, is that different for oat milk? And then yeah. I had pistachio milk and I was like, oh my God, you know. Is it so others, yummy? It's so yummy. Oh my goodness. Mm. It's like a treat though. It's, it's you know, it's very rich and it wouldn't uh-huh. work with everything, you know, yeah. like oat milk kind of really, you can put it in. And you know, so you like it's it's I really love it in chai. It mm. really, you know, so it's it's like a treat. I don't it's expensive, so it can't be like your regular milk, you know. Right. Like you, you need to like treat yourself every once in a while. Well, and I think there is something around the mass production of anything, right? right. So it's like I, I feel like with so much with so much of the food and, and the drink and the products that we take in. It's not necessarily about the the product as a concept, is the root concept of it, right? If you were gathering almonds and you know bringing them in and and putting them through the process to milk them yourselves, you know, then probably you're fine, right? But it's yeah. when it hits that level of like, oh, I need to go someplace that has a wall full of almond milk options, and there's just yeah. how many almonds are in the world? Not that many, <laughs> you know. It's mostly yeah. like almond flavored water. Okay. Yeah. And that's true with almost anything that gets mass produced like that, that so much of the issue is about that scale of production and distribution versus that, you know, what does it mean to buy things that are produced locally and in season and all that, right? Yeah. I mean, for some people, eating things out of season is the abomination, <laughs> you know, that's it's just right. like, wow, that's awful what you're right. doing you're to the body to and the lectins that. are telling you don't, so... Yeah, there's so many things about food that are, that I think we're, you know, I was like, most of our, our, the norm diet, norm core diet of the U.S., I think would be an abomination. (laughs) Um, Anyama would be like, what (laughs) happened? Not McDonald's. No, what are you eating? What? (laughs) What Where is the food? Where is the food? (laughs) Where is it? So, Yeah. And, you know, are there things in your life in general, are there things in your life that you once viewed as abomination or just something really wrong that you now practice easily? Yo, Bluetooth headphones. Mm -hmm. Abomination. (laughs) I mean, they just don't work in every situation for me. And I was just like, I don't want this thing on my head. Yes. But, you know, I, I got like, Bob had these headphones and she let me <laughs> borrow them. And my ears are so small 
and they're the first e- headphones I've ever had that actually my ears fit inside the little hole because oh. everything else falls out my ear. I can't really use like pods yeah. that well and stuff yep, like that. Yep. Um, yeah, those so magical Toshi shaped ears. They, okay, I have those these little ears, and my daughter has these little ears. But I, I literally the next day I dropped almost four hundred dollars on these headphones, and um, <laughs> and I was like, well, there I go, my Bluetooth headphones. No, no, <laughs> and, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I I think that way about being queer. I think that way about microwaves. Mm. <laughs> I think that way about there's just stuff like I'm just sort of like, yeah, I want to go back know. to being queer. Being <laughs> queer. I mean, for sure, being queer, I feel like growing up, it was just like there was no model for that yeah. around me in any way. So it was just like when I felt that within me, this uh, you know, attraction, it was like I want this girl on my soccer team. I mean, you know, it was like this <laughs> abomination. <laughs> like, what do you even think? What are you saying? Like, what, what would that entail? You know? Um, and thank God, you know, for little Nas X helping, helping other young people not to experience that. But um, yeah, yeah I, de- <laughs> I definitely feel like even I was laughing about this the other day that suburbs, I wrote, I know that I wrote somewhere once that suburbs were an abomination and like, mm. you know, they're, they're really designed in what I think is a counter community way. And yet mm-hmm. now I live in basically the, what look, what looks and feels to me like a suburb. And mm. even if it's not called that, even if it's technically within a city, but I'm like, I love this. This is so quiet. This is so wonderful. Mm. Like I didn't know you could have your house be this quiet, you know, <laughs> like that yeah. your, your whole neighborhood is just for residences. Right. And I mean, I came of age in New York. I'm like, no, like you always live in a place that is both homes and stores and the club and everything else is all happening, which I love you know, together. Love. Um, it, well, and I used to, but now, especially post pandemic, I'm like, what I want and need is dependable silence, (laughs) you know, dependable Mm -hmm. silence, and then to be able to go towards social experiences or go towards interaction. But maybe I'm an abomination now. You know, you just have to consider that dialectical humanism as like, maybe I've crossed (laughs) over to some other place and I'm old. I don't know. Anyway, (sighs) so ask yourself that question. I do think I'm a grandmother. I think I'm like, I I just skipped straight from like, you know, ecstasy club kid to grandma Adrian. And I I love it. I'm a really good grandma. I love you. I love you so much right now. (laughs) Oh, like my knees and my back. Um, So, (laughs) all right. So let's gather myself back into this because there's, I've got three more questions here. And, what I'm tracking inside of this story right now is that Doro has an orientation that he wants to get on Yanwu to be pregnant with Isaac's child and to have her pregnant with as many children as he can get mm-hmm. off of her body, right? So he's thinking about it that way. And what I un- also understood was on Yanwu was sort of like, if I can go ahead and get pregnant with Doro's kid, that will somehow protect me and protect mm-hmm. my family. Neither of them is thinking about the magic of a child or any of those things. You know, they're well beyond that particular perspective. And the question I have is, have you or any other people you know, folks in your life, ever approached childbearing transactionally? Right. And what mm. what does that yield? What does that yield for for the child, for the family, for the relationship, for the society? How can people orient towards each other? Where is the humanity in that? 
And then this last piece is Tinder. But have you ever been a part of a collective survival of someone who was abusing power? Mm. Right? The conversation Isaac and Anyanwu are having with each other is we have to do the best we can to stay safe and to keep others safe in the face of this person. Mm-hmm. And it really, you know, immediately starts to add complexity to the disgusting conversations, perhaps, you know, that Isaac and Doro have, right? Where it's like, how much is Isaac shaped in the reaction he has to be in to interact with Doro and stay alive? And how much is he actually able to be a real person? And how much is that true for everyone else there? You know, how much do they have their own personalities and how much is it shaped in relationship to surviving Doro? And if you've been through anything similar to that, are there strategies that you would whisper to Anyanwu? Are there possibilities mm. for surviving this that she's not seeing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a question too. Yeah. What belief systems do you hold so dear that actually aren't helping you in your current situation? Mm. I like that question, Toshi. You know, because I think about, you know, she's an ancient being. Yes. But she's actually been able to live in her belief systems the entire time. Yes. She has so had this to, is, yeah. Yeah. And so she, so she's still like, I'm going to operate in my belief system. Yeah. And experience everything in my belief system. So as much as she can, you know... It's interesting because the the lesson of like transformation and learning hasn't gone to her belief system. Yes. She hasn't that's used right. that yet. So she you know, she isn't she hasn't opened this whole wide door that's available for her. So she's she's going to Isaac because she's like, you know, I understand I was married to this person and that I now have to be married to this person in order yes. to do these things. You know, but it doesn't occur to her that like, well, I could just kill this person, like, you know? exactly. <laughs> which is not to say I love or Isaac, like I don't she... need to be a wife to survive. Like there, yeah. you know, I could tra- I could shape shift and be a man and go. There's all these other possibilities for her, but yeah. the, the shaping that she has is very much oh, I have to figure out who is the husband. But that's the yeah yeah, yeah. orientation. So I'm just like yeah. It's, uh, you know, and it's interesting because um, he offers her. You know that I always think about that in this chapter when he says, like, maybe you could become a man and we could have sex this other way. And I'm like, yeah, there's something in there. You know, there's it's like he understands her capacity. You know, a little ahead of her still, because again, mm-hmm. he's thinking as a breeder and just looking at raw capacity, and she's thinking as a human <laughs> and thinking yeah. about relationships. And she's and everything she changes to is still her. Exactly. And she doesn't find the bodies that like she's like if I'm a dolphin. Like she when she was thinking I'm gonna gonna be with this dolphin, yeah, it was like a big deal to her because yes. she but she started to realize, oh, they're very close to like this is actually a very close sensibility. Yes. You know. Yeah. But I was kind of like, why is she so outraged to be um a man <laughs> and have sex with a woman? But she was like, I'm gonna kick it with a dolphin. Yes, dolphin you know, slide like, in. I mean, it's yeah. fascinating. And you know, I think there's also the piece like and I think we see this 
keep paying attention to this. But what I always notice with Anyanwu is that the flexibility and adaptability that she has in her body, she doesn't have in her mind yet. That's right. Right? And so she's able to move and heal anything in the body, but she is not able to like move into necessarily the new territories of the mind or new ideas yet. And keep paying attention and to strategies. Mm, exactly. Because when she was doing her strategy with Doro, she actually had very limited room. She just was yes. like, well, it's because I'm not a good woman. It's, oh, it's yes. because I'm a da 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 She, yeah. you know, she kept banging, you know. But I do notice one thing is that she settles into reality after the fact. She's like, yes. okay, this is where I've landed. Yes. And, you know, I'm more enslaved than I thought I was. And and it didn't work. My plan didn't work. You know? Yeah. And I find this fascinating as a parable of how women give up our power, mm. you know, as thinking that we don't have it or being stuck in belief systems that don't actually account for the wholeness of our humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, I'm like, Anyanwu is such a relevant character for right now. Because I'm like, how yes. many of us are giving up our power by staying, you know, Audre Lorde talked about that, being externally defined rather than defined by our own internal knowing and impulses and and, and feelings. And I, th- I think so many of us are still caught there, pushing, pushing outward. Yeah. So mm. well done. Way to make it through a massive, massive chapter. And yes. readers, um, we hope that this is, as exciting for you as it is for us. <laughs> We're having it a blast. It is very exciting. So Octavius Parables is hosted by myself, Adrian Marie Brown, and Toshi Regan. Our producer is Kat Aaron. Our show art is from Krista Franklin. We're transcribed by Jess Pinkham. You can find us on Twitter at Oparables. You can become a supporter of this podcast and all the labor that goes into it by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash oparables. And you can find transcripts for all episodes live at readingoctavia.com. Music for Octavia's Parables is You Don't Know the Time, written and performed by Toshi Regan, and The Sower Song, written by Bernice Johnson Regan, and performed by the cast of Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sore, Memorial Hall, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Yay. I love you. Love you. Bye, y'all. Bye. A sower went out to sow her seed. A sower went out to sow her seed. Oh, so we